to go. Throw caution to the wind. Yeah. <laughs> let, the, let the fates carry us. That's how we roll here. Uh-huh. Uh, welcome to Practical Shooting After Dark. My name is Ben. Here to talk about shooting on deck tonight, we have Mr. Andreas with a new audio setup. Hello, everyone. I like your headphone setup, too. Yeah, these are the ones I use at work. They're like comfortable for eight hours a day. Jeez. Well, you look good. That's what I care about. Um, Mr. Kim is also on Hello. deck. And Mrs. Park. Hello. Hi. Well, you guys know the deal. Everybody comes here with a topic or something to talk about. I don't. I have no clue what you guys could possibly be bringing to the, to, to the table tonight. So I'm excited to find out. Who'd like to go first? I can I'll go. go. All right. Oh, and Andreas the, goes first. All right, Andreas first. Maybe so, we can do alphabetical by first name. Actually, that sounds fair. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, kind of a this week in shooting. Um, with the whole COVID lockdown, I was thinking for the longest time that my schedule is cleared. I'm just going to train really hard and my match results are going to get amazing. And more or less the opposites happened. So after talking to a bunch of people, I have been scaling back my training considerably. And what I'm finding is I feel a lot more rested when I'm going out shooting and this seems to be this seems to be working. Like another thing was, I think, with training a lot, that you naturally dial back the intensity when you are shooting or when you are dry firing, and that that can build some bad habits. So what I'm noticing now is when I just give myself 15 or 20 minutes to dry fire, that I'm gripping the gun just way way harder, and after. 15 or 20 minutes, I'm like having to put it down. I'm like, man, my hands just hurt at this point. And I'm kind of thinking that my usual, if you're not getting good at something, it just means you need to practice more. That may not be the right way to go. Uh, I agree with you completely. I got questions. So okay. what do you mean of like, by short, I don't want to put words in your mouth. You mean like if you're dry firing for an hour, it gets easy to not hold the gun hard by the end of it because you're kind of getting I, I tired. I think it's more, more I was never really... I was never really 100% at any time that I knew I was going to be in this for a while. Mm -hmm. So I consciously would dial back even from the start. Okay. And like now, like the first time I, I, I ran like that, I had to stop pretty quickly and put some uh, uh, super glue under the grip tape of my, of my Glock because I was pulling the, the grip tape off. Okay. And that had never happened before. And it was like when I really started bearing down almost immediately, the grip tape started shifting. I'm like, yeah, I better put a couple drops of uh, super glue under there to, to hold okay. it tight. All right. So I have a, an observation that I, I've, I've observed the same for myself personally. So I'm curious if you, you've observed the same. So uh, over my time shooting, of course, there's times where I'm practicing hours and hours a day, all, I'm, you know, all the time, get up and go to the range every day like without fail, even when I'm tired or I don't feel like I'm getting a lot out of it, I would just keep go, 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 go. Okay. And I've done phases where I'm restricting the amount of time or ammo or whatever that I'm putting into shooting. And I, I have two things to, to point out. Number one, I don't think that I develop a lot faster, not a lot faster by doing a lot more repetition and training, spending more time and doing more reps. I don't think develop me, develops me a ton faster. And the other thing is 
I don't feel like the amount of mental energy that I put I put into shooting really changes. You know what I mean? Spread, it just gets spread out over a longer period of time. Is Would you agree you with that? That's what I'm noticing. Yeah. So if I have a half hour dry fire session, I have the same, like, let's say my brain is functional for maybe three minutes. Like I get the same three minutes of functionality if I'm doing 15 minutes of dry fire. Yeah. You've, you'd say the same. I would say that, yeah, you're, you're just constant. You're not really getting any more useful reps in when you spread it out over a longer period of time. Is it fair to say that you, uh, I'm not saying everyone, but you maybe start going through the motions because like, oh, I went to the range today. I'm going to the range tomorrow. I'm going to the range the day after that. And then it's just like, well, I, mean, I get to the range. I set stuff up. I feel like I, like if I overload, I don't think about stuff as hard. I just kind of, I think it's easier. Yeah, to you're, not as, you're not necessarily as engaged. I would, I would agree with that. Yeah. So I've only done like one live fire. I'm doing another live fire tomorrow. We'll see how it goes. I'm still pretty early in on this transition, but at least the, the, the live fire I did on Sunday after a much diminished dry fire schedule, it was, it was much improved. I mean, uh, just my grip felt really fresh and hitting some 15, 20 yard partials. I was holding things together very well on those versus dropping a lot of shots. So, so it's, it seems good. It seems good. I'm optimistic. So it sounds like you're dialing down a little bit, but not, overtraining anymore and you're training still training enough to keep those knowledge fresh right like oh i have to grip like this how much pressure kind of thing yeah yeah so yeah we'll, we'll like see we'll see after a we'll see after a couple of months i'd say it's still it's still too soon to say but oh, i, like I think it's also i think also just practicing where you're not gripping 100 percent. i'm not sure how good an idea that is as far as just building a bad habit I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty just, sure about how good of an idea. That is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking it's like <laughs> I know exactly how good of an idea. I think that it's is. like if when you when you pick up the gun and you and you point it at the target, if you're not mashing down 100, percent you're probably wasting your time. Is is the conclusion I'm rapidly coming to? Well, I'm probably just a weakling of the group, but I also, if you do like overload, I also feel like I'm not really fresh. I get more tired. I'm not as focused. It's just I wouldn't say zone out, but I like the feeling of really being eager to train, really feeling yeah. fresh wide awake, alert, energized more than, well, I kind of like, I need to dry fire every day. It's like, regardless if I feel like it or not. Now it's like, Hey, if I want to dry fire, like I'll do it. And if like today's a day where I just don't feel up to it, my hands are sore. I'm not like feeling it. I just won't. Yeah. I do. A, I do a fair amount of biking and there's this, uh, <laughs> idea of what's what are called junk miles, which are when you go riding and you don't really have a goal in mind and you're training too hard for it to be a recovery ride, but not hard enough for it to be productive training. That's oh. every time I get on my bike, this is what I do. Is this is bad? <laughs> well, it depends, what, you're, about? depends what your goals are. Depends what your my goals are. My goal is are. to ride around, listen to shit on my phone while I ride my bike. Well, there you go. Then, then, then you're fine. But if you're trying to, if you're trying to go faster, then yeah. It's oh, no. No, I have a slow bike, man. I'm not trying to race anybody. So, so that's my topic. I like it. Okay. All right. Well done. Uh, am I next by alphabetical? Yes. Yep. All right. So, so this week in shooting, I shot a section match. Tell I, don't, me more. I don't have a whole lot to say about it. So I shot Minnesota section match. It was a, kind of the 10 stage section match that, you know, 
we, we've all come to know and love it. You shoot it in one day, it's 10 stages. Uh, there it is. Uh, what would I, what I'd say about this match in particular, as far as noteworthiness is nothing. And I think that's a good thing. It was like, it was, you know, 10 stages. There's some diversity. There's some short courses. I think we are seeing more of that now, more shorter stages in uh, big matches, which I think is a positive change. So it makes things more interesting. Um, but the, the match was very, very plain in, in terms of setup. But there was there's options here and there. There's a pretty good diversity of challenges. There was some close-in hosing stuff. Typically, I'd say the shot difficulty was a little bit higher than what you'd uh, typically expect for a section match, at least higher than what I've been seeing lately. And, uh, you know, I, I thought it I thought it was, uh, was fine. I thought it was pretty good. And uh, there would be a talk-through is coming to training group for those of you that are training group members. Excellent. Joel, I'm sure you have questions. Sometimes, sometimes not having a lot to talk about is actually a really good thing because you're not like, oh, there is this problem with this nope. and this everybody was struggling nope. on. There was nothing. Nope. No, there was uh, there wasn't any issues with the as far as the match setup or any stages getting junked or anything being fucked up or whatever. No, everything was everything was cool. And that uh, that is as it uh, as it should be. You know, you set it's the match. All it's stuff. not it's not when the it's not good when the match is known for that goddamn swinger on on stage four that didn't activate or yeah the popper that was never calibrated correctly on stage two etc like yeah no i didn't observe any issues yeah. and uh, i'm i'm uh fairly observant about stuff and uh, yeah i didn't yeah i was like yeah it's uh it is, this is what a section match ought to be and there you go like here's your section match guys now i have a question Oh, yeah. Go ahead. So I know I know that state is I as far as I know they are very friendly to PCCs. Do you think the oh, that really yeah, make... that that range in particular uh, is friendly yeah. to PCC. Like that's the one of the ranges that I'm a I'm a member of that range actually. Do you think it was like division specific more you know pro to one division than the other? Well, that's an interesting question. I don't think so. It was it was fairly well balanced in terms of setup. Uh, like I said, the shot difficulty tended a little bit harder than what I would expect. But I mean, so many people are shooting dots now, which makes everything easier. And the the normal problem that you see, especially at the club level, is a lot of stages where kind of if you shoot the stage properly, you're going to shoot like 14 rounds from one spot. You know what I mean? You see a lot of stuff like that where it's just it's boring if you're shooting high cap. A lot of people don't understand this, but it's boring if you're shooting high cap, and if you're shooting low cap, it's frustrating because you're you're standing there reloading the whole time. the The match did not have a lot of that. There's a little. I'm thinking of a couple spots where shooting low cap it was like you shoot a totally different stage plan, uh, and the mat the stages kind of like they always kind of flow better high cap, but. Um, there was only a couple stages that had that going on, which is less than I would anticipate. And there weren't any shots in the match that I judged as um, like a crapshoot in terms of difficulty. I mean, maybe a 20-yard tux target, which is – or 18-yard tux was like the, the toughest shot of the match. But it was a Comstock situation, so you could shoot as much as you wanted at those targets. So, you know, it was like kind of firm but fair is what I would say the difficulty level was like for the shots. So no, I, I yeah no no complaints really on that end, and I don't. It didn't seem like a PCC match to me. It sounds like uh, a good match. 
Yeah, no, it was. It's exactly what I'm saying. Say it's ten stages, a little bit of diversity there. Very kind of the setup was clean, and by that I mean, uh, if they did not intend for you to see a target for one from a spot, they blocked it off, and you couldn't see it. It wasn't like people like shooting at like uh, the part of a D zone that was unintentionally left exposed, mm-hmm. or you know, it was. It, it didn't have any of that shit going on that I saw. It was just it was very plain, very clean. Um, you know. I was like, yeah, this is fine. Like the a lot of those stages, they it worked fine at nationals. Uh, oh, and we, I should say the one test of one hand shooting that they had in the match, uh, I liked it because it was a practical test. It was pull a rope to open a port and shoot one handed through the port. So I liked that. I, I do prefer that to like a, a Virginia count, like stand shoot fucking classifier thing. I don't like that stuff that much. It's not interesting. Yeah, I think I prefer a punch in the nose to that stuff. Oh, I, we can organize that. Don't worry about it. <laughs> that was actually going to be my question about one-handed shooting. Because uh, I feel like, yeah, there's like some of the Virginia count stuff, like you're saying, or the match doesn't have it at all. So it, I, I like that the state, uh, if there's actually a stage that has you shoot one-handed out of necessity, but not a Virginia count standing in a box and like a prescribed, you know. Yeah. I'm not. I, I that stuff's it's fine, sure, but it's way more interesting if you make it a, a practical test. I like that. What time were you guys done at shooting? Uh, that yeah. was a little bit. So the match started at nine, and I think we left after awards at maybe six. That's very reasonable. It's not bad for Why? yeah for ten stages. Yeah. And if you, I think we were we fired our last shots around four thirty. Starting at nine is kind of odd, you know. Uh, there's a there's a noise restriction at that oh, okay. range. I think they could have gotten it waived or not. Like I don't really know. Okay. But uh, there's a noise issue there. Okay. I will actually say this. It's a good thing to say in a podcast. I was unaware of the noise restriction, uh, and I've been a member there for like a year, and I've been violating the shit out of that noise restriction, and I will discontinue doing that. Surely it wouldn't be rapid firing or anything like that. I'm sure. So. No, I was just shooting before nine, which I know, I'm, I'm joking. pretty sure I've done. <laughs> Whoops. All right. So I think uh, Mr. Kim is next now. Yes. So I don't have the one I was going to show you because I already returned it. Uh-huh. But I have another piece of it. So I have a breast base pad you see over here. And I had breast grip. So ever since the um, carry optics weight limit was increased to the 59 uh some grip companies be making bunch of brass grips for a bunch of models Mm -hmm. so i'm shooting q5 steel frame which can put another grip on so i bought that i think it was either seven ohms or nine ohms i forgot which number it is but it's either or basically with the breast space pad and the grip uh with the plastic grip i was getting 44 ohms on my gun Mm -hmm. and now i got 56 ohms after putting that breast grip and breast base pad. And what's the limit? 59? Yes. Oh, so you had three so, more ounces. You were unused exactly. potential. <laughs> Somebody made okay. breast front sight, so that's going to be good. Yes. Yeah. So I wanted to experiment, like, if there is any beneficial or pros and cons. So I actually did side-by-side comparison. My old 44-ounce model, I have a couple of them, so, and then mm-hmm. breast one. And I shot side by side. When I shot the recoil, so doubles drill and measurement drill, those are the ones I did to test the recoil. 
And I didn't really see in terms of how, no change in how much I need to return the gun. Basically, how much it flips, how much I need to return, like pretty much there was zero difference. But only difference was a little bit less pushed back towards my stance. Mm -hmm. So in terms of the muzzle flip itself, it's just the same. Same amount of muzzle flip, but in terms of kicking straight back to me was slightly less, which didn't really help me improve the recoil management. I was just shooting the same split, about the same group size too. So I didn't notice any difference over there in terms of the effort of trying to return the gun. Uh, but the biggest difference was in target transition. It was definitely noticeable on a heavier gun to, you know, transition the same amount. Mm -hmm. So I eventually shot like a big target transition drills, like designated target drill and like Blake drill kind of thing. Actually, when I shot, when I shot a couple mags through on one setup, I just got used to it at the end of the drill. So time was all the same. Hits were all the same. I literally didn't see any difference after only a couple max of training on one weight. But if it was the very first weight, uh, first magazine through the heavy gun, then it was a little bit slow on target transition because I was trying to uh, this slowing down too early. Yeah, basically, sort of say. The did uh, oh, sorry. the difference is well, I returned it. The big downside of that is the price. Mm -hmm. Most of the breast grip is over 100 bucks. Holy buckets. Yes. If I am shooting some gun that's front nose heavy, like mm -hmm. Shadow 2, for example, I think it's going to be an okay idea to make the weight balanced so that you add grip uh, weight and then front nose disappears. It's more of a center weight. But Q5 steel frame, uh, in the first place, it's balanced into the middle of the gun-ish, not the nose heavy. So in this kind of gun, I didn't see any difference. But Shadow 2, it, you can consider, maybe try that. But for Q5 still frame, I don't really like it. And one thing uh, I noticed is when I shot the plastic limited gun back in 2018, uh, PPQ 40 cal, I put a, the frame weight that was 6 ounce uh, going into Picatinny rail. Mm -hmm. That really helped to reduce the muzzle flip. So I think it really depends on where the weight goes rather than just increasing the weight overall in throughout the pistol. So you'd say the worst spot to put weight for recoil control would be in the base pads, uh, I would guess, huh? Yes. That's the worst spot and the best spot, the most effective spot would be at the at the muzzle. Yes. So somebody make breast front sight. <laughs> or the, so, or you, you would think the tungsten guide rods would be good then. <laughs> that would be a good idea too. So Kim, if money doesn't matter, the same mm -hmm. price, would you take yeah. the brass, the heavy gun, or the the gun you're used to shooting? <laughs> oh, I, I absolutely lighter is. one. Absolutely <laughs> lighter one. So, because, so what do you think? How so long you, did the brass grips remain on your gun? Uh, hundred rounds. Maybe. <laughs> did you notice a big difference in pushing the gun around for transitions? Like how much muscle you have to use to like float the gun? Yes. So the the way I tried to transition with the brass was just the original style, like 44 ounce, 56. I transitioned in the first time uh, the same way. The gun was stopping short because mm -hmm. it was way heavy, decelerating way quicker. So I just didn't like it. But after that, I just had to realize, oh, I need to just push a little bit harder. And then 
I can see if I want to train that two hours versus lighter gun two hours, that's the big difference. I don't want to like have a lot of muscle tension or fatigue soon because of the weight swinging around a little bit. So what do you think with the, the plastic PPQ versus the steel frame? That's a d total different discussion. Okay. Yes, because now plastic grip and steel frame grip, it's fundamentally the, the weight is about twice, close to being twice. Because it's like 27, 28 ounce with the plastic gun, and my gun is 44 ounce with the steel frame. So in that case, there is definitely some good mitigation in recoil management. Like you don't have to work as hard. The actual flip amount is less too because the Picatinny rail being plastic versus Picatinny rail being a steel. That's another big difference. So you're, you're what I'm hearing is that there's a kind of an optimal weight for a gun, maybe. Yes, especially nine. And it's, millimeter. And it's not. And it's not fifty nine ounces. Yeah, like for nine mil, I don't see there's going to be a lot of difference when it passes forty ounce. Any forty ounce plus gun, uh, even you compare with fifty ounce, I don't think there's going to be much change. But if you compare forty cal or major power factor, then forty ounce, fifty ounce may make a little bit of difference. I think. Okay. But not in nine mil. Did you notice a difference in gun handling with all the brass garbage on it too? Like as far as drawing the gun and reloading the gun and trying to kind of move it around in front of your face, so to speak? Reloading was definitely a difference. Uh, the magazine was getting a little bit uh, frictiony. Yeah, sometimes when it falls, uh, it clunks a little bit. Plastic, it was more more smooth. It could be the design of the grip because uh, original factory grip is one piece grip, mm -hmm. but the breast one was two piece uh, put into. So back strap had like a gap image, not really a gap. Like a seam, I understand what yeah. you're saying. Yes, yeah. there's a seam. So I think that was making the magazine, when the magazine is not completely facing to the ground, when it tilted a little bit, uh, it was a little bit slower when the magazine came out. But other than that, there was no difference. In, in terms of draw, uh, draw was pretty much the same for me. Yeah. Gotcha. So the moral of the story is there is a spot where adding too much weight is not productive at all. It's too much weight. Yes. Shocking. Mm-hmm. I like it. Okay. Mr. Mr. Joel. Uh, okay. Well, I guess I was... Uh, having a conversation with a friend about kind of using a timer and it made me think a bit. So over my, I guess my shooting seasons as a whole, thinking just over the course of years, I was thinking about how many different ways I've used a shot timer. And so, and that goes for live and dry fire. And I'm thinking of kind of, uh, I started out very deliberate. I could hit everything, but it took too long. And so for me, a using a shot timer was so important because I used the part time and that was a way to basically force me to go fast. I set a part time for, you know, whatever I was doing, depending on the drill. And that forced me to hear what fast sounded like. And I actually made myself faster from racing that beep, racing that buzzer, whether it was in dry fire or I'd live fire, I'd go to the range and, hey, this drill has to be done. And, you know, if I'm doing, let's say, accelerator, it has to be sub 
six seconds. If it's over six seconds, it doesn't matter how many alphas or how good their group. It just doesn't count. Like, it's just not good enough. And uh, so anyway, I learned so much doing that. And I kind of had a season where, I'll be real, I don't know that I ever even, like, I rarely had my part-time or my timer off sometime of a part-time. Everything I did was measured in time. It didn't matter what it was. It was always like faster, faster, faster. And I'm sure I forced mistakes, but I learned so much from it. And now I'm thinking recently, uh, I can think of within the last couple of weeks, I went to the range one time and literally the only thing my part, my shot timer did was just a start signal. And I don't even know if I looked at the time. I'm thinking of one range, one range session specifically, I don't know if I even looked at the time for a single drill. The whole goal was like, hey, just execute, just hit the stuff, you know, don't mess up. And that was it. Like, it really didn't matter. The time just is what it is. So I was kind of just thinking about, you know, as a whole, how valuable a timer is. If people aren't using it, they should be. And kind of just all the different uses. Because I got to a point where I already knew what fast sounded like. And I knew how to be fast. But then the issue, like, it, 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 the gear shifted from, hey, be fast to, hey, now don't make a mistake. And so, like, regardless of that part-timer going or not, I already had that fast in my mind. So then I was just worrying about execution. So anyway, in live and drive fire, obviously a timer is crucial, something you should be using. Um, but I've used it for a lot of a lot of different ways in my training, both live and dry over the year. So I think it's just kind of it's kind of just a trip down memory lane, I guess, so to speak, about how things have changed over the years. So I have a question. Yeah. So would you say uh, when you are going for like six seconds, if it's not six seconds or under, it's just nothing kind of a mindset. Would you mm -hmm. say uh, you're maybe trying to skip some processes that you should? Yeah, or maybe that maybe that I thought I should have like, oh, I need confirmation three for every target in accelerator. Mm -hmm. And then by forcing the time, I'm like, hey, guess what? I don't need uh, I don't need to look at, you know, the front side that hard. I don't need confirmation three for a seven yard target i can use maybe i'm using you know confirmation one and so yeah for sure i learned to uh to round a lot of corners and maybe what people said traditional marksmanship or how things needed to be that really wasn't the case yeah that I, that was my experience when i first started training too i was trying to you know follow the time and really not learn the process correctly but just yeah yeah, but go fast. And I made yeah. a lot of mistakes going fast. I mean, I muscled the gun, I slammed it all over the place, but I learned a lot still in, you know, in doing that. So, as you know, like the seasons for your shooting, so to speak, not necessarily one year, one calendar year, but I, I think it's good to switch back and forth between using the part timer and forcing yourself to go fast to, hey, like the time doesn't even matter. It's just a start signal. That's all it is. And I've done that in dry training too. Whereas, like, it really does, it, the time is irrelevant. I don't even care. I don't even have a par. I just want a signal to start me. And then, you know, like, the rest is just, just execute things correctly. Yeah. Well, you guys ready to take a question? It's a good Indeed. one. And it's actually for Joel. Oh, boy. And I should tell you, Joel, you have no prior knowledge of this question. You're shaking your head and making Correct. a face that's indicating you truthfully, you have no idea what's coming. Nope. It's not a sexual question, Joel, so don't be nervous. <laughs> As a master class shooter and friends with a few pro shooters, I do my best to squad train and just hang out with them because they're on a different level in life. Joel, if you had to put a percentage on the credit you all bend for your improvement and progress, what would that be? How important is it for a new shooter to scheme and be around pros? I know I went home with a lot of knowledge from just one match with Ben. 
Uh, my are we is this a question encompassing your training material also? I don't. I don't know. I didn't write it. I All right. Mean, I guess you, just you responded. Can you can interpret it however you like. I think. Well, I okay. guess I don't need Ben's head to get any bigger, but I would say. <laughs> No, yeah, talk about the life advice I give you. That's, <laughs> not, that's not sound. Uh, the, I would say, actually, I am, I suppose, kind of the after picture for Ben's training program, Holy honestly. Shit. You're the after picture? Uh, hopefully. It's the before right. picture. My God. <laughs> um, no, like I stumbled across Ben's. I was uh, perusing YouTube, watching these tactical guys, like whoever's kind of fast. Stumble across some of Ben's video. He was putting out a lot of material for free at the time. And uh, so I'm like, oh, I, you know, this guy, at that time he had a good haircut. I'm like, this guy seems reasonable. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's Ben just a regular dude shooting and he's walk, like, kind of talking out loud as he's doing stuff. I like that because I'm just a regular dude. I don't I don't think at any, at any point I stand a chance at making GM, but I just want to get better. And uh, so, no, I like I completely bought in. I'm like, OK, yeah listen to these podcasts that I never thought I'd be on in a million years and uh, like just kind of like training. And then it was, uh, Andreas, what's your line? I, I don't want to get it wrong about sustained effort and dry fire and how much, what it actually equates to over years. Oh, that people underestimate or people overestimate what they can accomplish in a week and they underestimate what they can accomplish in a year. Totally. So that was like, that was kind of, I, I felt like what Ben, a lot of Ben's program was where it's like, Hey, if, if you just stick on this 15 minutes a day thing, you can get really good. And then I kept doing that and I got really good. I'm like, oh, we had, I'd have this Ben guy out for a class and then, you know, had Ben out for a class and I learned a lot there and that lit a fire for me to train harder. And then it just well, kind of snowballed. The, so, so let's talk aside from classes and uh, whatever training materials. What about uh, just hanging out, Joel? <laughs> Do you find that helpful? Uh, okay, let's talk about matches and squatting you, together. You, you could be honest. No, Ben and I share the same hobbies and likes, so he's he's quite easy to get along with. So, uh, as far as matches go, absolutely squatting with the dudes you want to be like is extremely helpful, and having the top guys as a resource. Uh, I'm thinking of a stage at nationals, Ben. You'll remember where I'm calling Ben on his cell phone. I'm walking through. I'm like, Ben, I don't know where you're at, but like, I call him on his cell phone, and I'm like, I don't know how to shoot this stage. What should I do? And it was that. Remember the one with the bobbers, Ben? The was it three or four? Oh bobbers? yeah, yeah, the yeah, yeah. It, and I'm like, I like, I, I un yeah. yeah, like I understand this stage, but how do I shoot it? I'm like, I don't care how you shot it, just give it to me straight. And there's been a lot of that stuff, and then I get like insights as to how Ben specifically how he thinks about stages, how he breaks things down. And that's super helpful. And then being at a match, I mean, if you have the potential to squad with, you know, a heavy hitter or a super squad level guy, then without being annoying, asking a lot of questions, hey, what do you oh think about God. this? I thought about doing that. I should not have put this question to you. I'm going to get <laughs> fucked up at my next match. Very sorry. <laughs> no, Ben's helpful about that stuff. So anyway, uh, I think that's quite important. And regardless if it's, I'm using Ben as an example, but like when I was coming up, if there's a heavy hitter at my club, like absolutely I would squad with him as much as I could and ask questions without being annoying. Because, I mean, frankly, you can try to figure it out for yourself or you could just shortcut it and ask somebody that already knows what's up and then just like shortcut your learning curve. Yeah. That was a lot um, of rambling, but. Well, does anybody have anything to add to that? 
I'd say one of the things I picked up from you is well, it doesn't have to be about me. You have a lot of heavy hitters down there too, but you know, yeah, I'll say the, the the whole idea of it's not about stage it's not about stage wins. It's about like consistent, decent performance. Yes, and that's that's, that's one of the things I that's one of the things I picked up. That's a concept that is very very difficult for most people to even take on board. Where it's just like you understand, like most of the top, the, the smart top guys don't give a fuck about like stage results at all. Like they're not, they're not, they're playing the game at a different level than you are. Ben, I didn't you win a, a nationals where you maybe only won one stage or no stages, something like that? Is that correct? Am I making that 2015. up? Twenty fifteen. Yeah, and that was like the most heavily contested nationals that that mm-hmm. I, maybe in any division that there ever has been. They had two full super squads. I mean, everybody shot that match aside. I mean, you, you could count on one hand, the, like the top tier pros that did not shoot the match. So of course it was very difficult to get stage wins in a match like that. It was not an easy thing. So I did, I didn't get any and I didn't try to get any. I just shot my match and that was it. And that goes against maybe conventional wisdom that some people would think like, Hey, this is nationals. I want to, I want to go hard. I want to win stages. I want to win this match. So, yeah. Anytime you have the well, opportunity, those to, are, I, those are those are counter. Those those two things run in opposition. Like I want to go hard and win stages. I want to win this match. Those two statements don't play together. I understand that now, but originally <laughs> yeah. I don't know that I understood that. So, I think related. I think related to that is that your stage plan matters a lot less than you think. Yes. And also, I, agree with that I mean, too. and here's another thing, like most people like can't really take it on board. Like you understand, I was like, I, speaking for myself, like if you see me shooting at a major match, I'm not going as fast as I can go. Nowhere near. I'm just <laughs> shooting. Like, that's it. Like not trying to do anything crazy. And that I know we're talking about Ben, but now that took me like a while now that I've seen Ben shooting and I have maybe more of an appreciation, but I see Ben walk off a stage and I'm like, like, that wasn't the absolute hardest you could possibly go at the limit of control. But, at, you know, when you're when you're starting out and I'm B class and I'm seeing, you know, like the super squad level guy, like, man, he's just going out of control so fast. And then realizing like Ben's under control, he could he could do this run over and over again. It's not a, a one time, you know, magic trick or one trick pony, I suppose, so to speak. Yeah. But a lot of those concepts I wouldn't have learned without having exposure to. I mean, yes, Ben, but. Going to a match, if I have the option to to squad with the Heat and ask them questions about what they think or all that kind of stuff, that's super helpful. Well, and I should say, speaking for myself, I came up like where I live, no one else around me trains. There aren't top shooters around. Like especially at that time, there was no like top talent up here. There just it didn't exist. Uh, so I I came up alone, and it made thing. I think it made things harder for me. But in a way, it was kind of good because I had to come up with my own solutions for a lot of problems. So that wasn't necessarily bad. All right. So just to add to the question, so uh, I had a very good shooter locally. There's a couple, actually. Um, Of course, one of the the, there's world champion here, revolver and open national champion now. And there was this guy, Young Lee. He was in Mm -hmm. my division, production division when I started. So he was, he had a ton of experiences, shot multiple nationals, placed pretty high. Uh, so one thing 
I tried to do was there's a so-called local local super squad, right? But even if I was you know a terrible C class D class shooter at the time, I was just trying to get into his squad and then just observe his mm-hmm. routines. So like a lot of the things I picked it picked from him is of course there's some technique re- uh, related his movements great all that stuff, but actually his routine at matches. Like stuff like he always brings sandwich, and he would shoot three stages and eat sandwich stuff like that. So I'm thinking, oh, that has to do like physical consistency kind of thing. And oftentimes his plan is going to be definitely different than mine, because at the time I was more accurate shooter, but Young Lee has very ha- uh, fast trigger speed. So oftentimes he would charge forward and shoot different plan than me, like a lot more aggressive. And then I would ask him sometimes, hey, why would you go forward over there? You're creating a new position. He was like, no, but actual time is faster to go there, be aggressive. Those kind of areas are something that I hadn't thought about in my practice because at the time I was just accuracy focused. So I was like, oh, then I need to practice those areas to actually try to be keep up with him. And then eventually I came up to the level where I could compete against him. So I think that kind of... Uh, uh, I call him my role model at the time. I mean, still is. But to have a role model figure, I think it's a very good idea. Or how yeah. about this? You walk up, like, you're like, hey, it seems like this top guy, it seems like it takes you a really long time to make ready. Like, why don't you just walk up and shove the mag in the gun and rack it and holster? Like, I don't understand. You know what I mean? But, like, if you're not, until you get to that level, I mean, if you don't know, you don't know. And so that's some of those obvious things where you just, like, you know, without being annoying, you ask questions. And... Uh, an interesting uh, experience I had, I don't think he'd mind me saying his name. I was squatting with uh, Casey Reed one year for Area 3, and uh, we were in the same squad. And so I was just kind of like, I was asking him questions about training and stuff. I'm like, I, gotta, you know, like I, I'm, I know it, I'm GM at the time. I understand what's going on. I'm like, when he's making ready or when he's, you know, preparing a stage plan. But while we're just resetting, I'm just kind of picking his mind about, hey, what do you do for training? How many rounds do your training? I'm just kind of learning from the guy. I'm like, yeah, I don't like, I don't want to pester you the whole time. I don't want to be annoying. And he was like, he really enjoyed talking about shooting because he was passionate about shooting and training and that kind of stuff. And so like, we're there anyway. And you know, this dirt pit in Grand Island and it's a hundred degrees outside. So you're stuck there anyway, you're stuck resetting the stage. So talking about shooting and, you know, talking about what each other does for training and what you think is important, all that kind of stuff is just like, those are extremely helpful. So if yeah, as long as as long as you don't ask as long as you don't ask top shooters about what bullet weight they're shooting, they're probably going to be pretty uh, pretty cool about. I think most of them out. prefer those questions. Uh, to be perfectly some of, honest, some of I think, them probably. Oh, oh, that, that's, that has a quick that has a very quick answer. Well, not even that, but that's like there's no way to answer that question wrong, right? Yeah. Like if you talk, sit there and talk about bullet weights, no one's going to get upset with you. You know what I mean? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's not a not necessarily controversial. Yeah, you don't have to think about it too hard. You're just like, oh, I like the feel of these, and people are like, oh, okay. Like, I think that's a very safe conversation. Yeah, but the asterisk to all this is like, pick up on their body language, and if they're really uh, paying attention to the match and they don't want to be bothered, then like, don't hound somebody that doesn't want to talk. But do not go like, do not don't listen to Joel. Don't go fucking ask random strangers questions. Like, it's it's kind of kind of weird. Okay. That's just me. Joel likes talking to people a lot. Dude, I like, I'll say hi to people at the grocery store that I have no idea there. I'm like, hey, how are you? Like walking by. I don't know. Man. 
There I know go. the feeling there. It's pretty, pretty, pretty jacked up. Oh, all right. We killed it. Another amazing, wonderful podcast. Listeners, if you have a question you'd like the answer to, go to bensnigger.com, send me your question, and I will ask Joel all about it. Yes, it's going to be great. <laughs>